This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 59 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, November 22nd, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we sit down with Lucy James of GameSpot.com to discuss her various roles as host and video producer. Xbox shortages are expected to continue well into 2021, and we're beginning to understand now just how Microsoft will handle that Bethesda exclusivity. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem and plenty of things to be celebrated in that ecosystem, to be sure. And I'd like to start off this episode, as I do each and every week, by offering kind words to people who have made my gaming life better, and I've got some doozies for you. The first, of course, is my friend Archimedes, who hosts an incredible YouTube channel called Archimedes Boxenberger. He is an extremely talented content creator, but he does a very good job at breaking down like technical aspects of things that are beyond my knowledge set, and I really enjoy frequenting him with questions about why the Series S or X might be better in certain cases versus not. I appreciate analytical minds. Not to mention, I've had the chance to work with him before. He's always supportive and always kind, and uh, he really does make my gaming verse better, for sure. My second thank you goes to the Kinda Funny community, and specifically Snowbike Mike, Gary Witta, and Barrett Courtney over at Kinda Funny, who were kind enough to have me over on the X-Cast this past week. It was my 35th birthday, and to have an experience like that uh, on that day was just uh, incredible to to get a chance to talk to those gentlemen, to talk shop, to to discuss Xbox with that community, and have a chance to hear from so many people, uh, congratulatory comments. It really gave me... Gave me a lot of pause and just reflection about how fortunate I am to have this humble little show here and get to reach out and talk to so many amazing people. So I thank you to Mike, especially, who reached out to me with the request. And uh, goodness gracious, what a joy it was to be there. And man, oh man, I hope we can do it again at some point in the future because it was, it's, I mean, talking games is the best, right? Before we dive into the gaming news of this week, a bit of housekeeping for XEP. I am recording this episode on Sunday evening on the 22nd, but I'm speaking with Lucy James on November 23rd, Monday evening. So the solo portions of this will not include any breaking news that occurred uh, this coming up Monday, and if she drops anything especially incredible in the interview, I will not be addressing it in my solo portions, but uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation to say nothing else, to learn about what she does as a video producer, as a host over at GameSpot, to compare those notes perhaps with how Ryan McCaffrey handles things over at IGN or Jeff Grubb over at VentureBeat. It's one of those just incredible things, and I really enjoy getting a chance to shed light on how the gaming verse works from a coverage standpoint and, of course, the developers we've had on as well. 
But let's move now into the news of the week. The first topic, of course, being Xbox console shortages and the expectation that that will continue well into 2021. We found out roughly a week ago that Microsoft had eclipsed previous Xbox launch records with the Xbox Series S and X, making it the biggest launch of their consoles uh, in their history, and that's incredible to say the least. I was more impressed by the statistic that was released alongside that in that 70% of new console owners are tied to Xbox Game Pass, meaning that 70% of the people buying into this new generation is a user of Game Pass. Now, that we've talked many a time about the validity of Xbox Game Pass, the value of Game Pass as a service, and that only continued just prior to this launch when EA Play was added to it, games like Jedi Fallen Order and Titanfall 2, and a whole suite of games being available day one for Game Pass users if they're booting up their next-gen systems. And the fact that ZeniMax ink is now soon to be dried into early next year, we will see that ink dry and all of the Bethesda catalog officially added into Game Pass as well, filling out any of the gaps that are in there at present. And you have to think what an incredible service and value this is. And I truly believe that Game Pass will be driving hardware sales specifically for the Xbox Series S. I've talked quite a bit, as have many other pundits, to say that the Series S with its $300 entry point is a wonderful complement to any gaming setup, meaning that if you're using a PlayStation 5, the Series S is a wonderful second system. Very similar to how in the PS3, Xbox 360 generation, people talked about uh, you know, Wii 60 or PS Wii, and they would have a PlayStation 3, and a Wii, or an Xbox 360 and a Wii. And what happened? The Nintendo Wii sold exponentially more numbers than anyone could have predicted. While I don't see Xbox Series S doing that specifically right now, I do think it's going to be the catalyst to springboarding the Xbox console side of things into more homes than we we ever saw uh, in this previous generation, which was roughly 50 million Xbox Ones. It's exciting and it's fun and it bodes well for anybody investing into that ecosystem, be it on a Series S, X, PC, or Android device. And man, xCloud is the other entry point. It's so cool. So cool. Oh, goodness. I love xCloud. Now, specifically in reference to these console shortages, it was Microsoft CFO Tim Stewart who discussed this at a virtual conference with Jeffrey's Interactive Entertainment. And this, of course, was transcribed uh, by another service called Seeking Alpha. But he said that, frankly, gaming is exploding and they are expecting the Xbox Series S and X to continue being sold out through the first quarter of 2021. Uh, we know that my, Phil Spencer has said multiple times that their, their primary goal right now is to just get more consoles out to make as many consoles as possible. They are expecting to see the supply cranking up even more than it is now as they adjust to COVID and manufacturing, etc. And I, I'm very encouraged by this, and it, it really underlines a couple key points, ones that we've discussed before to an extent, but I want to reflect on now. We are expecting these new generations of systems to continue selling out despite the fact that if I'm being blunt, Microsoft does not have an exclusive single game system seller, something akin to Astro's Playroom or what you might call Spider-Man Miles Morales. Despite the fact that Miles Morales is available on PS4, people think of it as a PlayStation 5 game. I do much the same, or sorry, something very different, I should say, with Xbox. I don't think of games as Series X or Series S or Xbox 360 or Xbox One any longer. Instead, I simply think Xbox. And I believe that's their attention to legacy that they're pushing to have there. 
and I find it just something interesting to follow. It's fascinating to watch these consoles sell out. Now, we're two weeks in, but we're expecting them to sell out for some time. And people just want to be part of the ecosystem and take advantage of what I believe to be the killer app in Game Pass itself. That's exciting, especially when you know that they've done EA Play in the early stages, Bethesda in the, the early to mid stages. And after that, in late 2021, probably 2022 and beyond, you'll really see the, the seeds bear fruit for the dev kits that went out about Series X. I think that right now we're in that transition period, and because of the legacy-type systems they've built with backward and forward compatibility, we're playing games that can work on a blended generation comfortably, and we won't really see those true improvements, those exclusive improvements, for some time. I've gone on record, and I stand by the fact that I think that to be a very good thing for any of the, of the major players, PlayStation, Microsoft, Nintendo... You don't want to leave customers behind no longer. We're in a connected uh, ecosystem where cross-play, cross-generation, cross-save, and cross-progression are all standard. That continues when it comes to forward and backward compatibility. So in the meantime, of course, very good news for Microsoft, for Xbox fans, to know that their console is selling well, and that suggests very strong sales for the, the, the interim period while games are being developed, and that should really raise eyebrows for a lot of investors as they look to do uh, work with Microsoft going forward. Uh, as a little kind of footnote to this, we we saw Jim Ryan come out on the Sony side and discuss that they are working on a response to Xbox Game Pass for Sony fans, and I'm very excited by this news. This is very good news for gamers everywhere because it means that a competitive space will be created in the Game Pass market. We are in a very unique situation, particularly with Xbox, in that they are being so consumer-friendly right now that it feels like the deal just keeps getting sweeter and we're not paying more and i i worry about that of course as far as like improve you know raised prices and the like but for sony to be working to combat game pass on some level and and outwardly say it is i think a very good thing because it will continue to push both companies to bring their a game into this next generation and uh, man as we say so often that's a very good thing for us News about Halo Infinite is on the way. Community manager Brian Gerard noted in a Reddit discussion thread that they are working on an update to come forth, but quickly stated that there will be nothing planned ahead of the Video Game Awards. Halo Infinite will not have a demo or anything showing at the Video Game Awards as the team works hard to reset themselves uh, with the changing of milestones that the delay of the game brought. I think this is very good news that they are coming out very clearly and saying we're not going to be at the Game Awards. Of course, I think they would have wanted to be, but the reality is their their heads are down as they retool and rekindle the fire that perhaps they lost a little bit as the momentum shifted away from the game in the delay. I would imagine it is especially disheartening to be a creator at 343 right now and see all the marketing coming out and know that the window was missed. To say that, though, is not to say that we are not pleased about that delay, and I specifically have said uh, on many occasions that I'm on board for whatever delay they need in order to execute and make their vision. Uh, my heart is still broken that I'm not playing it, of course, as you guys know. I adore the Halo franchise from the books and co comic books to, of course, the, the various uh, movies that they have produced. I, I do like them. I don't know. They're not that great. But I like them. And of course, all the Halo games, Halo Wars 2 remains one of my favorites. And of course, I love the Master Chief Collection. And I had a great time with with a, several parts of Halo 5. I'm greatly looking forward to Halo Infinite. But it'll be some time, I think, before we truly see that game. 
There were speculations that we might get it in early 2021. I do not see that realistically happening in, in all expectation. I think we see this to be a late summer or fall game for 2021 uh, and, and Xbox. But make the game they need to make. Make the game they want to make. Don't uh, don't rush Halo. There is no need to rush it at this point. The damage has been done, and it's an important time for us to to allow the gaming space, particularly on the Xbox side, to to showcase other major players. We missed the window with Master Chief. Let's make sure that the Master Chief that comes to this console and this new generation is the best version possible. And I genuinely think that's what they're trying to do. Let me know what you guys think, though, because I, of course, uh, speak from a, from a heavy point of emotion. I, it's very hard to be objective for me about Halo. So let me know what you think. Tweet me at insipidghost, or you can email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of this, the idea that Halo Infinite will be likely some time away and that they will not be at the Video Game Awards. <laughs> It's been some time now since we found out that Bethesda would be acquired by Xbox with Microsoft purchasing ZeniMax and thus making all Bethesda games first party for Microsoft. And as exciting as that may be, there were certainly plenty of questions lingering for multiple gaming communities as to just whether or not these games would be exclusive. Now, there's a lot of speculation on just what's going to go on here. Xbox boss Phil Spencer said some time ago as well that they would be handling those games on a case-by-case basis, meaning if it was best for the game, the ecosystem, and the brand, it could go multi-platform, and if it was best to boost their brand and Game Pass, they would keep them solo. Now, those, Bethan- those plans for Bethesda are starting to make shape in what they are calling a first, better, or best on Xbox strategy. And I have a lot of questions on just what that means. Of course, we're fielding these and seeing these. And in that same time where where CFO Tim Stewart spoke to Jeffries Interactive, he addressed this as well. And he says, quote, What we'll do in the long run is we don't have intentions of just pulling all of Bethesda content out of Sony or Nintendo or otherwise. But what we want is that content in the long run to be either first or better, or best, or pick your differentiated experience on our platforms. We will want Bethesda content to show up as the best on our platforms, end quote. I think you can read this to be a number of ways, and I don't have an answer for you as to just what they mean by this, and I think they're likely still examining just what that means. Is it profitable to put Fallout 76 updates onto Sony platforms and allow that ecosystem to continue purchasing those games? Is it wise to keep the next Elder Scrolls game or Starfield or the next Doom title to be exclusive in the Xbox gaming verse on Microsoft platforms? A lot of debate has gone into these things, and I would argue that even I've changed my mind about them a few times at this point but for my money i think it's great if it's a large open world mmo style-esque game think fallout 76 games as a service type approach those should be multi-platform and you should allow cross play cross cross generational saves you should allow cross anything as you're able to do it and perhaps just simply give perks to those game pass ultimate or xbox users Something that I relate this to is right now over on the Game Pass Ultimate Perks page, uh, you can get three characters the new day from the WWE Universe to play in Gears of War 5. This is $20 DLC that's available for free for all Game Pass Ultimate members. Perhaps we see something akin to that on games that go multi-platform from Bethesda. They get perks or some specific benefits uh, over on the Xbox side. Something akin to perhaps the way you see Call of Duty right now. If you're on PlayStation, you're getting an XP boost in Call of Duty Cold War. 
I do not like that setup personally because that is a third-party deal. However, Bethesda will become first-party, and that does layer the cake just a bit more than we might otherwise think. For my money, though, I think they should work to keep a lot of the games exclusive and continue bo booming with the brand that is Xbox. They've got an entry-level pri uh, entry priced console on the market, a premium-priced console on the market. They've got entryways into the PC space. They've got entryways into xCloud with touch controls on many of their games. I would like to see a comfortable balance, and I think we will see that comfortable balance for Bethesda titles uh, because it will continue to strengthen the brand and, again, as I continue to say, increase competition and value for the gamer. Par for the course for this year, delays yet again striking our news feed. This time, it's Xbox-exclusive Crossfire X being delayed into 2021. It was originally slated to launch late in 2020 and be an Xbox-exclusive title. The company, of course, cited the COVID-19 pandemic as the reason that the team at Smilegate is uh, delaying the game. This might raise your eyebrows in a few ways. There was, I would argue, a very mixed reception to the beta that ran several months ago i played it liked a lot of parts of it really disliked some other parts of it very mixed results in just what crossfire x could be of course if you are familiar with the title you know that remedy the makers of alan wake and control are working on a single player aspect of that game now what happens with crossfire x in the future do they does the single and multiplayer release uh, side by side do they separate them how will you pay for them what's going to be happening uh, as far as the cost for this game, I'm curious how they monetize it. All of those things yet to be cleared up. And I wonder just how successful Crossfire X can be if it, it costs money in the single player side and the multiplayer is lackluster. I wonder how they will produce profit out of that. But my, my hope is that they nail this thing because Crossfire proper is a fairly big brand overseas, I believe in, in South Korea. If they can get that Crossfire brand to excel here in the United States, in North America, over in Europe as well, then perhaps they see a more successful exclusive first-person shooter in the free-to-play side that pushes the business forward. If you're, th th This reminds me, I should say, when I think of Crossfire X, I think of World of Tanks. Several E3s back, several, goodness, it's been over probably, probably eight or nine at this point. Uh, watching E3 for the Xbox 360, it was announced that World of Tanks would be coming to Xbox 360, and I could not have cared less. That game is still growing and going strong, and people play that non-stop. The same for, I believe, War Thunder is the, the airplane version of that. I don't know if they're directly related, but they certainly look like they're directly related. Games like this have a way of, of leaping to life and yet not existing in our podcast and console side conversations. I wonder just what Crossfire X does. I'm excited for it, if only to follow the story, to follow how they plan to monetize it, to plan uh, and see just what remedy, what type of effort are they putting into it, because Control is their baby now, that universe. How much effort are they putting into that single-player experience? Thanksgiving kicks off in the United States this week. If you are listening to the show in the week that it launches, you're likely privy to plenty of Black Friday sales. Of course, you should be enjoying those digitally. My hope is that none of you are venturing into the stores and exposing yourself to unnecessary things for just a couple bucks off. And there are some incredible deals in the digital space. Famous Seamus wrote in, as he so often does, and asked me, you know, what on, on the digital shops am I interested in? What am I looking at? Uh, right now, the Black Friday sale is live on the Xbox store and there are tons of games incredibly well discounted 
Um, and rather than go through and give you guys a list of what you should be saying, I'd like to sum it up with really, when you see Game Pass Ultimate on sale this holiday, if you have the means, gobble it up. Oh man, I'm sorry. Gobble, that was low-hanging fruit. I, I, oof. I, I went for it. I regret it immediately. I said gobble it and I just couldn't, oh gosh. If you see Game Pass Ultimate, that's what you guys should be getting. I know Best Buy right now, you can get one three-month code for $22 rather than $45. I snagged one of those. It's one per customer. But anytime you see Game Pass Ultimate on sale, stack it, buy as much as you can, and build it for the future because uh, I would fully expect them to raise those prices over the coming years, and there's just so much value in there. If you are a recent or new Game Pass member, check out that perks menu. You can get lots of unlocks for various games. I talked about the gear stuff because, of course, I am loving Gears 5 right now, Operation 5, playing on my Series X. I've always loved Gears, and it just looks and plays better than it ever has. I'm contemplating buying an OLED TV so I can play it at 120 but that's unlikely, let's be honest. That's an expensive TV right there. Uh, nonetheless, I, I encourage you guys, in all these deals, go snag Game Pass. That's what you should be doing. There's so much value to be had there. Go snag Game Pass. Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Ahead of our interview with Lucy James, I thought we'd do some listener mail before we exit out for the day. Matt over at Assemble writes in and he says, What do you feel matters more right now, ray tracing or 60 frames per second for the general consumer? What do you think has more of a wow factor or do you think it simply depends upon the title? Great question, Matt. I tend to lean more towards a performance mode. The higher frames per second to me offers a smoother experience and I would rather games feel better rather than look better. There are plenty of games though on a case-by-case basis where you do kind of want that wow factor and take a look at just how impressive the visuals are. And I think as we get more more into this generation, we will see a better use of the optimization for Xbox Series S and X. So right now you're looking at a lot of very basic improvements. Things look really good. I mentioned Gears 5. I play a ton of it. It looks fantastic right now. Sea of Thieves looks fantastic. And this is only the beginning of this generation. I think we'll see continued improvements in how ray tracing works on the tax load that it puts on the hardware to do things like that. Uh, And I would encourage everybody else, take it on a case-by-case basis, uh, depending upon the game that you are, are more interested in. The next question comes from Todd Oxtra. He says, Now that we are in next-gen, should we focus more on the new games like AC Valhalla, COD, and Yakuza? It seems like much of the attention has been on Halo Gears Forza updates. Is this due to no new Xbox Game Studios and that they want to keep in the spotlight? That's a great question, Todd. I, I wonder this. Now, when it comes to Call of Duty, the marketing goes over to PlayStation on that one. And Valhalla does stick with Xbox. Yakuza does stick with Xbox. And I've seen some good commercials for those. As far as the attention being put on Halo, Gears, and Forza, I think part of that is largely due to the Halo factor in that. That carries a lot of weight in the marketing space right now due to the deals that were already in place. So to those of us who are are familiar with the Xbox One generation, that just feels like an extension of of more of what we're getting. And the Gears 5 update did uh, launch alongside Gears Tactics, and they're trying to have a visual visual spectacle and showpiece title that they are currently lacking. So that's that's a, a heavy part of that. 
when it comes to these other deals, yes, they need to do a better job with third parties and promoting their games. But nothing in my my visual records seems to suggest that they're trying to do that. They're instead focused more on expanding their first person or first uh first party rather portfolio. News of the EA Play deal, as I mentioned earlier, coming into Game Pass is a big factor of that. The Bethesda deal as well. Acquiring new studios, new brands, new IP will likely be a part of their strategy going forward so that they are not reliant on those third-party deals that, frankly, they didn't do a good job of making in this past generation. And I don't see them making in the future because it didn't really serve them that well uh, throughout the past seven years or so. Tomb Raider is kind of the one that that was mentioned over on the X-Cast, and I, I tend to agree. That was a pretty lackluster deal, all things considered. I want them to splash that cash with those third parties. I want Xbox to be at the forefront of more deals. I really hope that Gotham Knights doesn't stay Sony or look or stick Sony. Um, and it's a shame if it does because you've got the Marvel properties over there on the Sony side, and Xbox loses ground there. But they want to continue that with their their own products. And if that comes by way of purchasing things like Zenimax, then I think that's what they're familiar and comfortable doing. <laughs> Well, let's round out this portion of the show with a final listener question. This one coming from Famous Seamus, and he asks, What are your thoughts on Among Us getting nominated for several video game awards, even though the game came out in 2018? That is a fantastic question, Famous Seamus, and I've really been wrestling with it. I purposely excluded a lot of the topics that had to do with the video game awards right now. One, because I think there's still time to make those discussions happen. And two, because I have a very... Uh, I guess I, you could say I'm uncomfortable with my own feelings about the Video Game Awards and why we look at that as being the, the end-all, be-all industry standard, standard of that's the award, that's the game of the year, versus, say, GameSpots or IGNs or VentureBeats, etc. I'm still wrestling, I think, with my feelings there. As far as a game that, that came out in previous years being nominated for awards in this year, I actually think it's a very good trend. Something that we see a lot of people talk about, myself included, is that we have a backlog and we don't get to play every game right when it comes out. Not to mention release dates and timings of different things might mean that games don't get a fair shake or they are uh, so, so far distance from when the awards are given that they may not be... Uh, recognize the Jedi Fallen Order is the one that people have been tossing around of late. I think it's a great thing that Among Us got all the recognition it did in 2020, despite the fact that it came out two years ago. My hope is that we encourage that behavior. Great games don't always get noticed right away. And that is, to me, a travesty because there are great games floating around out there that I've yet to get my hands on by way of backlog, timing, uh, availability on different platforms, or, or etc., I hope that this trend continues. I hope it's managed and navigated well. And I think that's part of why I wrestle with this this question and with the video game awards in general. Setting up the awards for, for what game of the year means in any category is a, a minefield of expectations and deliberations. And I'm very confused often when I hear people debate game of the year because it doesn't sound like they're talking about the same thing. Highest quality, most fun, game that captured the most attention. You know, what is it? Fall Guys would, would be one of the ones that captured the most attention in 2020, along with Among Us. But people will toss around the highest quality games as being Ghost of Tsushima or Last of Us Part 2 in this generation, or I'm sorry, in this year. And 
I don't know what game of the year is in those discussions. I know the games I had the most fun with, and those don't often line up. Having the most fun isn't always about having the highest quality. And so I really do deliberate and take my time on this because I don't know how I feel. Uh, I will talk about, in a few weeks, the must-play games of 2020, like the XEP Awards, as it were. And there's nothing special about them. I don't have any well, you know, grandiose gimmicks to it. It's just simply the games that I think you should play uh, from the year that, if you haven't, you should put on your radar. Those will be the, the XEP Awards, for lack of a better term. I think I called them... I might have called them XEP Awards last year. I don't know. It was the first year last year. That's cool. This has been going on for over a year. Oh, I get reminded of that sometimes. That's kind of neat. That's really cool. All right. Well, I'm excited, of course, to talk to Lucy James. I'm ecstatic to have had a chance to hang out with the Kind of Funny community over on the XCast this past week. I hope you guys enjoyed this segment of XCP. Uh, if you did, please feel free to subscribe on your podcast service of choice. If you have iTunes or an iTunes account, it would mean the world if you would go over and send a review that way. It's a small podcast. I love making it, and I would love for it to, to be found by more people. And if I'm the right speed for them, they enjoy the ride along with me. That's it for me, guys. Enjoy the interview with Lucy James. Take care. Alrighty, guys. We are very fortunate now to welcome Lucy James of GameSpot.com. Lucy, you are a host and senior video producer over there. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am ecstatic to have you here on XEP to discuss what it is you do for GameSpot, a bit about your career as well. So let's get to brass tacks. What is it that you do in your respective roles as host and senior video producer for GameSpot? That is a big question because I do a lot. Um, host is probably the easier one to explain. Um, I host things. I'm on our podcast. I am... Um, you know, if ever we do a post-show or pre-show for anything, um, especially press conferences like we did over the summer, I'll be a host for that. Um, back in the before times when we could go to E3, I'd be the one interviewing developers on stage. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the easy one to explain. Senior video producer is a an all-encompassing title, really. I do everything from writing and scripting uh, to you know, content strategy to sometimes even editing. I used to do a lot more editing. I don't really do that in my current role. Um, I manage a couple of video producers. I um, help with production and coordinating. It's it's a very strange job because I kind of do a, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it's it's a strange one. I do a lot. It's it's difficult to even give a typical day in the life because no two days are really the same. That sounds very cliched, but with a, I don't know, with an industry like video games and working on the media side, everything can change very, very quickly, um, just like we did over the summer. Well, actually, I mean, this year in general, obviously, you know, we would plan everything to be in the office, in the studio, and then having to pivot to do everything at home and trying to get over the, the road bumps that come with switching to working from home. It's, um, yeah, it's challenging, but it's fun. Now, you say you manage uh, several other video producers. What goes into that aspect of the signing roles? Are there certain things that need to get done that you are, are saying, I'll do this, you do that? It, what goes into managing video producers? 
Uh, so it's kind of two different ways of thinking about it. It's um, So we have our big weekly meeting on a Monday where we kind of decide what we're going to be making that week. And that's when, you know, traditionally roles will be assigned where it's like, OK, you pick up the edit on this one. You do the script on this one. And, you know, it's one thing about GameSpot is that you get to work with pretty much everyone. There's um, a lot of cross team work as well we often work with folks from editorial on the video side um you know i just shot a video with jake who's on the video team and with phil who's on the editorial team about cyberpunk so Mm -hmm. when it comes to actually managing video producers i am the line manager um i head up the original programming team which means that we kind of make series of things a lot of them are obviously on pause right now because we are focusing on new consoles but you know we'd make particular series and I would help assign you know Kurt to do the writing on this one or you know plan out an entire series of something and then with my other direct reports you know I've got Persia who's a fantastic host so I'm trying to mentor her and help her grow as an as a host and then I've also got Miranda who is our intern and so we've been kind of assessing how great she is and she's really fantastic like everything I've given to her she's just taken on and just done great things with and so we're trying to identify you know what she'd like to do beyond the internship and that kind of thing and then Kurt as I mentioned he's a host as well and writer so two yeah two of my my video producers are very much kind of more leaning into the host so trying to mentor them and you know build up their skills there. Well, let's let's veer for a minute away from producer and talk host for a mm. moment. What what makes a good host? It's very strange. So before before we started this interview, you told me you know it's better that I talk a lot. Whereas as in a role as a host, it's a it's different. It's you're the person who's steering the conversation. You're if it's if it's in an interview, for example, you're the person who's steering the conversation. You're introducing it. You're providing the context for the viewer. You are. Um, making sure if it's a panel that everyone's getting their own chance to speak, you are letting the experts speak and you're the, um, you're kind of helping the knowledge get to, you're the stopgap between the expert and the interviewee, the subject and the audience, right? That's a traditional job as a host. And then there's other facets of it where it's, um, you know, when you're hosting a podcast, you want to be the, you want to be the personality, you want to be, something that the audience can latch onto and they can latch onto your personality. And so there's different facets to being host. And then, you know, there's just standard kind of voiceover or two camera hosting, which is presenting information in a way that's interesting and entertaining to an audience, um, which is kind of what we, what you'd call, you know, hosting a video where you're, you know, I just did one the other day uh, where it's, you know, 10 beginners tips for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That's a kind of very straightforward hosting kind of role but it's very different to when you're hosting an interview i see now do you find yourself preparing for uh different types of of hosting gigs or duties differently like do you write notes down ahead of time or how do you uh plan and prepare for each of your various you know setups so if it's a tips video i typically i'll I'll have either written it beforehand or i've seen the script beforehand and i just you know look at it give it a quick read and then voice it and that's pretty straightforward hosting an interview is um or at least even not just an interview but a a discussion based video so we've been doing that with uh, cyberpunk coverage quite a lot 
So we have Jake and John Luke. Uh, Jake's played some of cyberpunk. Um, John Luke is a cyberpunk aficionado. He knows all about the lore. And whereas I know a lot about cyberpunk, but I have specific things that I want to get from them. So there's, I'll prepare maybe a, a, a list of, you know, these are the talking points I want to get to. And then it's my job on the fly to listen to what they say, react to it, but also then a lot of the things that they don't say about hosting is coming up with good ways to segue. Um, you can do it, you know, you can either point out, you know, oh, this is going to be a hard, hard swerve. Uh, we're going to do a big segue here. Or you can try try and do it naturally within the the remit of the conversation. Um, but to get back to your question in terms of preparation, there's nothing I like less than being unprepared. I will always have notes for everything. Um, and I'm very lucky that we work with a great team of editors who don't mind if I say, hey, I'm just going to do that again. Or, hey, can we pause and rethink this? You know, they're always very accommodating. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself doing lots of takes in different hosting roles, you know, to, to reset from time to time? Not really. I've been not to kind of big myself up or anything but you know I've been doing it for a long time mm -hmm. so I don't typically need to do very many takes voiceover for example I have done a lot of voiceover even my previous role I did a lot of voiceover and that's something that I feel very confident in and I don't really do very many retakes unless I really mess up unless I mess up a word I should say um or, you know, I can't get the cadence how I like it. Or maybe sometimes what will happen is I'll be reading something and then at the end of the sentence, I'll kind of go, oh, no, 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 I want to emphasize a different word. You know, I want to give it a bit more punch. With hosting to camera, um, you know, if you're doing live stuff, there is no way of doing a redo. Um, I really like doing live content. I think it's really important for a host to kind of own things when you know things don't go as planned it's very awkward to try and get things back on track and you're not really acknowledging what's happening I guess um mm -hmm. but it but when it comes to just like hosting I like I said I like being prepared I will if I'm doing something scripted and it's on camera I'll make sure to learn my lines ahead of time or at least be very familiar with them so I can just kind of quickly glance read them out loud to myself a couple times and then just try and get through it i at the end of the day, I don't I want to be prepared so I'm not wasting other people's time. Sure, sure. Now, you mentioned that you'd been hosting for several years at this point. Do you feel that the audiences have changed much in your time uh, in different hosting roles? Um, I guess so in my other my other job, I worked for a TV station and that was very strange because you didn't really have the audience to kind of see their reactions to you didn't um also I so I worked for a tv company called Jinx and at the time that I worked there they didn't actually even broadcast in the UK which is where I was based at the time uh so it was very difficult to get a gauge on how the audience <laughs> would see you um and then coming to GameSpot which was in 2017 if my research is right is that correct GameSpot? No, I've been GameSpot since 2014, but I was in the UK. The and UK, then I, that's what it was. And then I came to the US in 2018. Um, but in terms of the audience there, GameSpot has always been just... 
like a very pleasant audience kind of it's very strange because the way our website used to work is that we would focus a lot more on site video and so we had this community that was fostered on site and now because we have this big youtube presence too obviously a lot of them have moved over to youtube so you still see um and especially during things like extra life and having our podcast you still see names that i recognize from when i first joined gamespot um so one thing i'll say about the audience is that like it's nice that we have a discord now for example that we can actually properly talk to them i feel like talking to someone one on one is very different to talking to people who you know you leave a comment they leave a comment and that's the kind of the end of the conversation whereas in a discord you know they we've um the kind of it's really cool the way that you see them interact and like Daniel Moreno in our discord did a cool like this insanely good art project and kind of used his time in the GameSpot community as part of inspiration for it it was about other video games too but he used the framing device of uh, of GameSpot and then seeing them come together for the charity events that we've been doing um and seeing them in discord and just chatting to them so I don't think our core audience has changed. I think the gaming audience has changed. I think it's definitely become more widespread. But in terms of the games for audience, they're still the same great people. They're just in different locations now. That has to be exciting and a bit rejuvenating to see those names regularly pop up, uh, no matter where you are in your extended time at GameSpot. Now, you you say the the audience is uh, becoming wider. What what do you mean by that? I think just in terms of seeing how the conversation about video gaming becoming just, you know, so widespread that, you know, there's a BAFTA category. There's an entire BAFTA Games Award ceremony just for video games now. It's on the BBC, it's on Sky News, and it's not just seen as a weird hobby anymore. It's, you know, got this mainstream coverage. You can see how... um, Jean and Elisa over at the Washington Post are, you know, pushing that forward over there too. And it's cool that, I don't know, maybe it's just because of the bubble of the people that I follow, but also I follow a lot of people in film who you don't necessarily think of that interest in video games and then they'll just drop that, oh, they're playing something on PS5. And I just think that's really cool. Obviously, there's the other side of that. There is a lot of negativity around video gaming um so it seems remiss not to mention that but honestly I try not to engage with it I I find it very stressful to be in an argument with anyone in real life and I think I don't know if you've ever read so you've been publicly shamed by um John Ronson it's a very fascinating book about um you know being publicly shamed on Twitter and on social networks and I like to use my platform to as a as kind of positivity I make a lot of bad jokes on there <laughs> it's usually just about the media that I'm consuming at the time and sometimes you know you'll get a bad YouTube comment and it can really kind of derail your day that doesn't stop happening just because you've been doing this job for a long time like you are a human at the end of the day and people sending you negativity does affect you and so when it comes to, you know, online hate mobs, etc., I find it very stressful. I'll support people where and, and where I can, but I don't actively tweet out 
spicy takes with the hope that people will argue with me because mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, that's what the internet likes to do. And honestly, I was, I had a little bit of trepidation when we decided to make a show about new consoles, but um, that community, I think because we approached it with a very kind of even handed, like, Hey, we're going to talk about PlayStation and Xbox. We're going to make jokes about both of them. All of the panel are going to play both of them. We all play both platforms. I think that kind of helped. We kind of fostered the community that we wanted to rather than having just, you know, the console wars in our comments every time. Sure, sure. And I would imagine that uh, when you deal with things that can be as polarizing as the console wars in what is traditionally very uh, us and them approach, which is a very silly approach, I might add, uh, in addition to, I think, the extended discussions of representation in Mm -hmm. gaming over the past, I would say, this entire past generation leading into this new one, it's really become a bigger and stronger conversation. Do you find that you guys have internal discussions about how to properly manage and deal with and cope with the the levels of, I think intensity might be the right word that you might receive from that? Yeah, I feel fully supported at work. I, you know, we have very supportive managers who understand like what it's like to be, not to say that they've ever been on the, the brunt end of any of it but they understand what it's like and what a toll it can take and you know we're encouraged to just feel free to log off feel free to do this you know we have um i was worried for a time about you know some like they ran checks for us to make sure that none of our stuff was none of our personal information or identifying information was online which is you know unfortunate that it was even a necessary step but as you know you're you're kind of representing the brand and they want to protect you. And I felt very comforted by that. And like, you know, not to say that there was anything particularly bad going on at that time. I'd had an issue a few years ago uh, with a stalker and, you know, there was stuff happening that kind of, um, kind of resurfaced those feelings a bit. And so I took it to work and they were very, very good about it. And they were like, look, let's, here's all the stuff that we can do. And so I do feel very supported there. And it, it, it is just, you know, feeling in a place where you're supported by the the powers above, so to speak, is uh, is very helpful. Certainly. I would think that being in a position of, of spotlight, like working for GameSpot, uh, has to bring a lot of good and then those awkward moments there. So it's encouraging to hear that you were supported. And, uh, man, it is troublesome to hear that you have to, to deal with that stuff, I, I'm sorry to say. Uh, I'm, I am going to, to veer back to our video producer role, but uh, I'm curious. Now, let's go back to what your role is when you are producing videos. I recently watched a roughly 20-minute or so episode with you and Taymor, uh, and you guys were discussing some of the problems that came with the next-gen consoles. Mm-hmm. And in that 20-minute video, I'm look, I'm seeing uh, you and the other panelists' faces. I'm seeing, you know, side swipes and, and B-roll of things. I'm seeing spotlighted questions. Are you guys planning that out ahead of time? Are you managing that? How how do you guys go about setting up a 20-minute discussion? How long is prep work? Is it? Uh, prep work-wise, it's not as much as you'd think. Uh, prep work-wise, so. The team on Gen Next, it's me, Tam, uh, Jordan is our other host, and then Evan is our video producer, editor on that side. So what we'll do is usually we'll just put a Google Doc out. And so last week, 
that example is, you know, people are reporting all these issues with their new consoles. Personally, my PS5 has been randomly crashing a couple times. And so we were using that as a talking point. And so um, what I'll do is I'll kind of roughly write an intro and then, you know, I'll put a section, PS5, Xbox. And then what we'll do is the three hosts will kind of go around and find um, news articles, uh, specific tweets to discuss. And we'll kind of all link them in a Google Doc. And so that way Evan knows exactly what we're referring to. Every time I make a call out, because I do that a lot in Gen Next, is, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll forget something and then I'll, I'll think about it while we're talking about it. And I'll say, Evan, can you, Evan, can you put this in? And um, I'll send him the link after. And so the props for the way the Gen Next comes together is Evan. So he's one of our uh, video producers and he's really talented at just kind of matching B-roll and understanding what B-roll is going to best illustrate what we're talking about. So whether that's gameplay, whether that's, finding tweets and finding questions and things that we're referring to and putting them up on screen as we're talking about them, that all goes to Evan. And he, we don't micromanage that. We give it to him because we know that he'll, he'll illustrate our points the best. And that's, that's a key thing about actually working in video and something that it, it takes a minute to kind of takes a while to realize that you don't, you can let the video speak for itself. Sometimes you don't need to over describe using your words what you're seeing on the screen. It's perfectly fine to let video breathe and let, and, and if we're talking in the context of video games, let the game speak for itself in some regards. And that's a real core skill that I don't think any, it's not really a formalized skill, um, but it's very important. Probably about as important as music and timing. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I fully agree with you there. And it's interesting to hear you describe your process because to me, it sounds very similar to, uh, some of the shows that, that I might work with, whatnot, that are very amateur or enthusiast based roles. How much, uh, difference would you say there is between the professional level and those enthusiast shows that, that are, that are out there? Is there a massive difference? Is it a matter of talent, of production value? Um, it's I'm a weird really question, sure. right? It's, it's right? I mean, <laughs> the thing is, as well, is that I don't think you can you can you can't underestimate what people are doing at kind of the enthusiast level because some of the stuff that people are making is just frankly incredible, and we are lucky on our side that we have the resources that it's not just you know, hey, it's me producing it and then I've got to edit it. No, I can pass that off to other people. I can pass research off to other people. Um, so if anything. Like it just makes the enthusiast side of things all the more impressive. And from our side, the main difference is that, yeah, we have the resources to have more people touch this thing. And when you have more people, you have all these people with different levels of experience. And so when I bring up Evan and I bring up his editing, one thing that he does really well is that he makes things funny. He we make jokes in that show all the time and he knows how to make them better and that's like one of his specialized skills is that he's really funny and he's really funny with his edits. And then we have other producers like Richard, who he is one of the like the best director of photography I've ever seen. I've ever worked with working with him. He did all of our product shots for PS5 and Series X and Series S. And he and I've, I've worked with him extensively when we were shooting things like audio logs and true fiction. 
he just kind of commands a production and he commands the set and he makes sure the lighting is perfect, the camera's perfect. And so you have all these different people with all these different skills. And when they come together, they can help build each other up. And that's one thing um, that, especially since working with Richard, I'm trying to be more conscious is bringing up everyone else with you and trying to foster this environment of learning and creativity as well, because we have certainly the thing of being a video producer, like I said earlier, it's like my job is so all encompassing. You kind of a jack of all trades. And then we have these people on staff who are masters of some. And so they are then spreading their knowledge and helping all of us, um, which is really gratifying to see. I, I love hearing the enthusiasm you have for your peers. That is that is so wholesome and, and it's so good to hear because, you know, from the outside looking in, one would always wonder, you know, you could mm. look at any number of professional sites and, and wonder how, how much of a family tie you might have between one of them. And the way you speak about your coworkers, it just seems like it's a very warm and positive relationship. And sometimes we do a bad job in highlighting the negative of things. We talked about the audiences earlier. And so I suppose it's just extra encouraging there. Yeah, definitely. I, I, Especially in console launch years, um, they come around so rarely, but also, you know, working shows with everyone, you have to be in a team where you can trust other people, um, not only to do their job, but look out for you because you're looking out for them. And so that's one thing that we really do well, I think, at GameSpot is, you know, we're all friends and we all hang out and that's one of the really tough things about this year is that we're not in the office. Like we have a place called the speed zone, which is so named because it's where we watch speed runs uh, when uh, AG, AGDQ is on. Um, and, but also like payday beers we would have, and then we'd all, you know, kind of head to the speed zone and play smash or something. And so it's very difficult to continue to foster that over zoom, etc. Uh, we have occasional get-togethers. You know, some of us play games together. Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's not the same as, you know, being in a room with someone, I guess. But I am glad that we're all keeping an eye on each other. Certainly, certainly. And, goodness, our, one thing about the gaming community is we are able to rally around uh, very positive events like console launches. So I'm glad to hear that it's extending over there for you. Uh, Lucy, we have uh, several people writing in questions that they have for you, and uh, I'm jealous because some of them took some of the best ones, and I'm excited <laughs> to sh share those with you. Sure. Uh, the first comes from Emmett Watkins Jr., an incredible uh, personality over on mm. Twitter. I really enjoy Emmett. Uh, he says, I'm curious about both how she got into the industry and how her transition to living in the United States went. Her and Tam coming over was one of the best things to happen to GameSpot since I've been following the site. So, Lucy. Aww. <laughs> how how did you get into the industry? Big question there. And how was the transition to the United States in 2017? Sure. So uh, I got into industry because I was studying a degree that I didn't particularly enjoy at university. And I just started playing a lot more games. And then I slowly fell down this rabbit hole of realizing that, hey, there's an entire industry of people who talk about video games. And this was really in the days before... Um, you know, people on YouTube were talking about games. So this was solely, you had your GameSpot, your IGN, um, your Eurogamer. And so I managed to get an internship at GameSpot. Um, that was 
the lovely Johnny Chiodini passed my uh, CV over and I was an intern for a month in January 2012 and then it kind of solidified that this is what I wanted to do so I finished my degree and I moved to London and I did a lot of freelance stuff some for GameSpot and other outlets and then I um, went to an event a sleeping dogs event I remember that yeah sleeping dogs I interviewed Dan Sochan from United Front Games I remember that event it was a very good event I love that game um and I met people from Jinx TV and uh they said hey we're looking for a host and I said okay yeah I'm down to meet up but we were going to Gamescom the next week and I met uh Adam Mason in the beer garden at the Kölnmesse in Cologne and we talked and he said, okay, come in next week for a screen test. And now in 2020, I'm still working with Adam Mason because I managed to finally convince him to come over to GameSpot. So he's been with us for about three or four years now. Um, so that's how I started working. Jinx was this TV company that does a 24-hour video game TV company, which is about as difficult as it sounds. It was built, it still exists. It's built on the um, the framework of a music channel so that means that every single segment needs to be four minutes and 30 seconds long so if you want to learn how to be very disciplined when it comes to your writing and how it comes to your producing that was one hell of a way to do it um but i so i worked there for two years and then GameSpot, uh my current boss chris beaumont reached out and said hey do you have a reel and i sent sent it over and um yeah, we talked and I was offered a job. So that was July 2014. I started work and then um, I I was a video producer. And back then I didn't even know how to edit. So I learned how to edit on the job and I worked on a bunch of series as well as hosting. And then in 2015 was my first E3 with GameSpot. And I was just kind of one of the main hosts. It was me, Chris Waters and Danny O'Dwyer. Um, we were yeah, the three who were just going to be on the stage the whole the whole week. And, um, yeah, that was a real rush, and I loved – that's still my favourite part of the job. E3 is still my favourite thing that I get to do and hopefully will continue to get to do maybe in a couple years' time. Uh, and then I was promoted and moved over. And, honestly, I, I do miss the UK dearly. I love the team there and I'm still very glad that I get to work with them on a lot of projects um but being in America is I love it here and it seems tacky to use the phrase land of opportunity but it does feel like there is more here it's nicer to be on the same time zone as you know our head office definitely but it's also really cool because a lot of the developers are out here and a lot of the publishers are out here And you do get afforded some opportunities for content that you wouldn't necessarily get in the UK because the market is smaller. So when we were shooting audio logs, for example, um, I, you know, reached out to Sony with a a dream and said, hey, can I have Corey Barlog come in and do a series that we don't even have a pilot for um, because I know he'll be in town and then they agreed, and that's how we got Corey Barlog in to shoot audiologues. And once we said, hey, we've got Corey Barlog, everyone else said yes, too. Whereas 
you know, you're not going to necessarily have an event in the UK where Corey Barlog, Suda 51 and um, Itzin Osan from Devil May Cry are all going to be in the same town five minutes away from your office for a week that you can shoot something <laughs> with them. So it's definitely, it's really cool. And, and as well, I have a really good friend network here. I was very fortunate enough to have worked with and known a lot of people before I even moved out. And so that's how I got to living with Greg and Jen and, you know, couldn't have asked for better roommates, honestly. And honestly, when you think about places you could be stuck during quarantine, I think being stuck with the Millers is I'm very, very fortunate and um, very, very lucky. And yeah, now that Tam's here, I'm slowly just going to be in the process of trying to make all my British friends come over. That's so cool. And it's fun, I think, for us on the other side who are following the Twitter, the, the Twitter space and seeing the content and seeing the crossovers. And yes. it, it's just fun. It's fun. It, it reminds us that, uh, again, I go back to that wholesome feeling. You described the Millers and you described Tam as me in just such a, a wholesome way. And, and I just keep going back to that. It's It's nice. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, so we had more questions. Famous oh. Seamus, he wrote in, and you may have already touched on this, but one of his questions was, uh, what's the most memorable thing to have happened in your career thus far? You mentioned E3 and teased that as being a good memory, uh, as you did with the Sleeping Dogs event. Would you identify those as your most memorable, or do any others stick out for you? Oh, most memorable. Um I think, I mean, definitely the first time I hosted at E3 is definitely always going to stick out. Also, that was, weirdly, the first time I ever met Greg was on stage at E3. And then little did he know that a few years later I would be occupying his spare bedroom. (laughs) Um, And in terms of most memorable, I have been extremely fortunate with some of the things that I've been able to do. I've met and worked with and interviewed with some of just absolutely incredible developers and I feel very very fortunate I you know I am a huge fan of Persona and I got to go uh not only to Atlas but also to interview um Sojima-san who's the uh the character artist behind you know all of the Persona games about Persona 5 and so getting to do that and getting to make that content I also have one that I'm sitting on that I'm not allowed to talk about just yet but it's for a game that's coming out next year um, that was a real, very, very surreal moment for me is, you know, when you think back to what would you, what would you say 10 years ago mm-hmm. if you knew you were doing this? And like, I got to go to Bioware and I, this is for, for a different project, but I, I got to go to Bioware a few years ago for Dragon Age. Um, and that was a very, very memorable thing for me. But I, I think, honestly, I think the most memorable was Probably either going to Irrational Games, um, like two weeks before Bioshock Infinite came out, and kind of seeing what the, how that was all going, and speaking to Ken Levine, and you know I'm a huge, huge fan of Bioshock, and just kind of talking to the people behind, having played it at the point at that point, and talking to them, and finding out their creative process, and telling that story is very, very cool. That's always going to be one that sticks out to me, and I think as well, yeah, I think E3, I think just any E3. Especially being on the on the show floor is a very cool feeling because sometimes some years we would do it uh, all our interviews upstairs, which is sort of in this cl- enclosed room. You don't have an audience or anything, um, and then there's like another rush really when you're hosting live and you have an audience. 
And I think one of the biggest ones was that we had, we, we had uh, Todd Howard last year and he was so nice and he was great with the time. But honestly, we asked him pretty, it was myself and Mike Mahardy and we asked him pretty tough questions about Fallout 76 and, you know, just seeing someone with the power and status of Todd Howard kind of accepting where things went wrong a bit um, was very cool. And it was, and yeah, being, having that, doing that live was, I think, a definitely a career highlight. Sorry, that's a very long-winded answer, but I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> I'm <tough>. having fun. <laughs> Did Does asking those tough, tough questions, is that hard for you to do even now? No, I don't think so. I think it, it's funny. So I mentioned earlier that I don't like it when people don't like me, um, and I try you know, not to foster negativity. Um, but sometimes you have to face hard subjects right you have to ask Todd Howard you know about Fallout 76 and where the shortcomings of that game just as much as you know you have to speak up about things like that have been happening at Ubisoft um with all of the allegations that came out over the summer it was very you know because gaming's not all just oh haha it's great we're playing video games there is some exceptionally serious subject matter that comes up and you know obviously we had to address the ubisoft stuff because it, you can't in good consciousness talk about hey oh we you know here's a your ubisoft forward post show we're just not going to address any of the stuff that's been coming out we're just going to talk about assassin's creed and watchdogs okay no that's not how it's going to fly we have to address stuff um and as well like discussing um representation in video games and i was you know it's not my place to speak on a lot of things i want to elevate the voices who are you know better at it than me i want to be an ally and i want to support and do everything i can but if there's going to be some injustice happening i want to be there and like help and you know provide my voice and so one of the things i'm exceptionally proud of that we did and this year is that originally our play for all charity event was just going to be just uh was going to be raising money for covid relief and then um the unfortunate uh murder of george floyd happened and we decided like it was literally a sunday it was that weekend and we decided that we were going to change and make sure that we were raising money for blm as well as for covid relief and so i'm very glad that we use our platform and we use our voice to do that and that's actually i take it all back that's the thing i'm most proud of in my career is that we did that what a brilliant answer oh man that's and powerful at that because it's it's been a year lucy it's been a year and so in a year (laughs) well let's look uh, several people writing in with the question of what you're most looking forward to in this new generation will end on a positive and bright note what is it you're that you're looking forward to and uh playing right now talk to us talk to us about some video games (laughs) (laughs) um one of one of the big conversations from this year has been accessibility and honestly uh, i'm going to use this to pimp some GameSpot stuff but chris morris uh one of our editors in the uk did a great video about uh accessibility on the xbox series x and the playstation 5 and that video um features Taylor, who uh calls himself the blind gamer and he's obviously an advocate for accessibility in video gaming um and honestly there's nothing quite like 
showing people games and like seeing people who previously never experienced games or played games um, play them for the first time and realizing what a wonderful art form they are. And so with all of these um, leaps forward in accessibility, I hope that that is something that keeps happening, whether it's Xbox with the access, uh, with the accessibility controller um, and the way that game developers are now tackling and changing the way that they make games to make them more accessible to more people. I want more. I don't know. I want more of that. And so that's what, something I'm really looking forward to is more people experiencing games. And it's it's weird that, you know, we talked about how awful 2020 has been, but there was a really, really nice period, if you can call it that. But seeing the way that people were using Animal Crossing to help themselves like feel better and they would throw um, like you couldn't have a wedding in real life. So they'd have a wedding in Animal Crossing or a birthday party for a kid who couldn't see their friends. So I'm excited for gaming to be used as more of like a thing that people gravitate towards for happiness. So that's my broad answer of what I'm looking forward to. And I definitely hope that, and think that the new consoles will help with that. In terms of what I'm playing, uh, right now it is an embarrassment of riches. I'm swapping between Assassin's Creed Valhalla um, as well as Yakuza Like a Dragon. And uh, I'm trying to go for a couple Platinums. Um, I'm trying to go for the, the Astrobot Platinum and maybe Miles. Because I, annoyingly, I played Miles on like my U my us account but my main mm. account is my uh uk one so i'd have to play it like three times but it's it's good enough that i would do that uh and then i'm also playing demon souls very slowly certainly so that's i'll tell you what uh miles is a special game and it's funny it's because it's 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 more spider-man but there's mm-hmm. something about being miles particularly in 2020 with the black lives matter movements mm-hmm. and 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 so many conversations of representation something about it just feels special yeah, it really does. And honestly, I think Miles is oh, it's such a fantastic game. And the way that it handles representation as well, it's like there's um there's a deaf character in there and it's never made this it's it's, it's not like this huge, oh, look, we have a deaf character in our game. It's she's an accepted part of the community and Miles knows sign language. And it's just yeah, I think they did a great job with uh, uh with uh, representation in that game. It's fantastic. I love it. And I love also that uh, – and I'm veering ever so slightly, pardon me. But I, I love about Miles that they didn't just gender swap or race swap a character that previously existed. He was created, and he belongs in that universe and has his place there, and it just feels – it feels right, and I love that. Oh, goodness. Lucy James, I've used so much of your evening, and I really appreciate it. Please let everybody know uh, what's coming up on on in your workspace, what you're looking forward to in pimping out there, and where they should be finding you. Oh, thank you. This is fun. Um, so I'm on Twitter at Lucy James Games. Uh, in terms of GameSpot stuff to look forward to, I would definitely check out the accessibility piece that Chris did. Um, things that I'm working on... Uh, it will be, well, we did a video about cyberpunk uh, just today. We filmed it about what relationships are like in cyberpunk uh, because Phil on our team played 16 hours of it last week. So we had a, lo- a long list of questions for him. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I, we, ju- we just wait. It's going to be cyberpunk until the end of the year. Cyberpunk and Immortals, which I'm very, looking, very much looking forward to. Not a bad, not a bad thing to look forward to in any in any year. So that's yeah. great to hear. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you.